So um, let's talk a little bit about agape. I will just share some, some thoughts, but we'll see what we can do. Um, such a big topic, and um, it's often... <laughs> it's going to be undertreated. I don't know. It'd be nice to work through the scriptures, all the scriptures in the light of the subject of agape. It'd be really, really nice to do that. And that's why I feel like it'd be undertreated because in a half an hour, but even if I had an hour, it wouldn't be. It's more something to do in a couple days, a couple days of texts to work through every little passage. That'd be really nice. Like we were doing the other day when we were working on the Holy Spirit or the Assumption to go through a whole bunch of different passages. But uh, before we do that, I would like to um, talk a little bit of um, theology, maybe. A little bit of theology. Some basic principles. Um, When we're speaking about agape, um, we're normally going to be referring to um, the love of God. And what we mean by that is not our love for God. That's not the love of God in the sense I mean right now. What we mean by the love of God, we mean the love that God has in his own heart. His love. As distinct from our love, human love. So when we're speaking about agape, we'll speak about divine love. And when we speak about the gift of the Holy Spirit coming in our hearts and teaching us, Or you speak about the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, not just the gift. The gift is grace, and the gift is the Holy Spirit really given to us. Um, But the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, too, will say how does that divine love, the way that God loves, translate into our day-to-day, into our life? How do we live of the Holy Spirit? Or the infinite love of God? How do we live of the infinite love of God? How does a finite creature live of the infinite love of God? That's going to be the question. And the answer will be found in Scripture. And that's why we're reading Scripture together at any point in time, let alone today. That's why ultimately we're reading Scriptures, how to enter into the life of God. And so, when we're speaking about philia or, or eros, those are two human dimensions. The ways, in other words, the way that humans love. Two different ways that the human person loves. Remember that eros is this ecstatic love. And if we're looking at Plato, we're looking at this um, love of the beautiful the love of the good that takes us outside of ourselves into a contemplation of the beauty, hopefully of God. In there, he talks about the ideal forms, or he talks about the perfect beauty. But we would speak of our contemplation of God in this ecstatic motion where we're giving ourselves entirely to him with a certain poverty and riches, a certain emptiness and fullness. If we're speaking about philia, we'll speak about that friendship love where we live together and work together and and love each other for the sake of the other. 
we benevolentia, wish the good for the other. Here, you're talking about something that's very specific. You're talking about the way that God loves. God the Father loves the Son. God the Son loves the Father. The Holy Spirit, which comes from the two. And also the way he loves us. So right away, God loves us with everything that he is. In 1 John chapter 4, right? You find that famous passage, God is love. You can't say that of us. I can't say I am love. I can't say I am love. I can say I love, but I can't say I am love. Like the definition of my being is not pure liquid love. Okay? Nor yours. You are not pure liquid love. Um, when we speak about God, God is love. So if we're looking for a definition of God kind of thing, which there is none, we would say God is love. We could probably say a few other things too. A bunch of other things. Um, and so when he gives love, he gives himself. When I give love, I give my hand. Or I give my time. I give my presence. I give whatever it is I'm giving. Fill in the blank. I give something. But I don't give literally my substance. (laughs) I don't give literally myself. I give of myself. If I gave myself, I wouldn't exist anymore. (laughs) I would stop existing. I'd be dead. So... That's an important distinction. When God gives love, he gives his whole self. It's like he pours himself into you. When he loves you, he's present to you. It's not like, like for example, I can love my mom, and in my heart I'm present to her, but I'm not physically there. When he loves you, he's there. There's no distinction between his love and who he is. So some basic theology on that is already very nice. And so when we look at the life of Christ, we're looking at how that love is going to take on our life or live, be lived of in our life if we're seeing Christ as our model. There's one way of looking at Christ. There's one way of looking at Christ. We'd see how that love takes over our whole heart. How that substantial love. And literally, for him, it's going to lead him to offer all that he is. It's a complete offering. He is that. In, if we're looking at scripture, we'll speak about the holocaust of the cross the offering of everything in a sacrifice. The way that it expresses itself in us. If we speak about Romans chapter 8, sticking with some of the famous passages, Romans chapter 8, which we just recently had, when the Holy Spirit comes in us, what does it do? It gives us sighs that go beyond words, longings, that go beyond words, right? 
or it makes us cry out for the Father. So the Holy Spirit, when it comes into us, it translates into giving us longings or sighs that go beyond words. Romans chapter 8. Or, and the other part of Romans chapter 8, crying out for the Father. So we become like Christ did, because Christ cried out for the Father. Right? And so it's a love that is, for us, all-consuming. Remember that friendship is not all-consuming. I still go to the movies. I still work. <laughs> not everything is consumed by friendship. It's more like a spice. Here, even like St. John Bosco, who would say to, uh, what's the name of the little saint? Dominic Savio. Dominic Savio. Um, that even in playing soccer, he's loving the Lord. That even in playing with the other kids, he's doing what God wants and therefore loving the Lord. That everything for us can be taken up by the Holy Spirit. By this offering of myself. From doing the dishes to um, spending time with my brothers, joking around, to um, being in adoration. Everything becomes an offering as long as I see myself in the light of God and offering my life to God. As in seeing myself, as, uh, yeah, I ask the Holy Spirit to come in me and I'm seeking to do what God wants. And I offer, therefore, my heart back to him. Um, one of the great and most important texts for seeing how the love of God translates into our life, of course, would be Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. And that's a must when we're thinking about this. There are many passages, of course, in John, but before we would go there, we would speak about uh, the Beatitudes. And then not just the Beatitudes, but our whole moral life. Because he's going to talk about, like, uh, we say do not kill, but even if you're angry at your brother, or we say do not uh, commit adultery, but if you already have lust in your heart. Um, but before that, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And remember what we were talking about before, when we are talking about eros, how poverty comes into it? That if we really love, we are emptied. Because we make a big hole for the one whom we love in our hearts. We get our hearts ready. That we don't, we detach from anything but him. And so, if we're virtuous too, we're blessed, or happy, or living of the virtue of charity, the virtue of faith, the virtue of hope. It radiates. It's not just I'm begrudgingly poor. I radiate it. So that you glow, hence we speak about the halo, 
the Shekinah, the glow of the Holy Spirit. The Shekinah, which is the Holy Spirit coming down. is that glow of the Holy Spirit. The whole aspect of blessed are you if you keep nothing for yourself and all is given. It's interesting, for your reward is already having the kingdom of heaven. It's not future tense, it's present. Like if you're poor, a poor mendicant, a poor beggar for God, you already have the kingdom of heaven. For the kingdom of heaven is within you. It's interesting. Remember that whole thing about ecstatic and instatic? But here, again, it's this life in the spirit that leads us to be completely given, right? And therefore poor, because I'm given, because I have nothing. I have nothing. Or in all things that separate us from God, we mourn. Blessed are those that mourn. And for all things that separate us from God. So, sin, right? And also there's a certain longing for going to heaven right now, as St. Paul speaks about. I would prefer to be in heaven, but if I am here, I'm here to help. I'm here to serve. I'd prefer to go, but if I am here. The blessed are those that mourn, they will be comforted. That's future tense. We'll be comforted in heaven when we, find, when we reach the one we love. Until then, we're, when we're separated, we mourn. Blessed are the meek. And they shall inherit the earth. The love of the Holy Spirit gives us a gentleness. It's interesting because meek often is weak and weak don't inherit anything. Powerful inherit. Powerful inherit things. But here it's the opposite. If we live with the Holy Spirit, it gives us a, a great interior strength to be offered in love. But my strength is tender. My great interior strength, the strength of the saints was a tender strength. It was not a harsh harsh strength. So like Mother Teresa, was, they say, was tough as nails. But she was also very tender, very meek. And how the two meet in a saint because of love, because of the love of the Holy Spirit working within their hearts. The love gives them an incredible strength in order to be tender. And so how does love translate? Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. If, we, if I love, I care for your good. I care for the good of the other. And therefore, I want what is right. I don't want, like you can want what's bad for you, but I don't want what's bad for you. I want what's good for you. So I want what is right. So I hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not that you get what you want. And maybe what you don't want. And so on. Um, the very interesting, 
also, too, well, we work with blessed are the merciful for they have received mercy. There's so many passages in, in Scripture that bring that home. But the most obvious one, of course, would be Luke and the prodigal son. Where the father is showing us his mercy for us in waiting for us and loving us with all that he is, but in respecting us and not uh, being attached in a sense of wanting to control his prodigal son, but letting his prodigal son go, but still waiting at the door or waiting at the window for his son to come back. When his son comes back, he runs out and gives him everything that he has. And actually, he doesn't say that. He says, I give him the fatted calf. But for the chosen one, the one that stayed, rather, um, he's going to say, you have, everything I have is yours. Because the other son already, he gave it to him and he sold it all. So everything I have left, <laughs> everything I have left is yours. And blessed are those that are merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. If the good son has mercy on the bad son, the prodigal son, he shall obtain mercy. If he doesn't go in because he's too jealous, he stays outside, he won't go into heaven. You have to, in order to obtain mercy, you have to be merciful. Or just write a couple verses after that. He'll speak about um, the working out all your problems before you make it before the judge. Have mercy on your brothers. Forgive your brothers before you get to the one who has to forgive you. But then I like the blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If the Holy Spirit is working in us and we want to live of God, we want to see him. And so we don't want our eyes to be corrupted by anything but him. We don't want our eyes to touch anything but God. So purity of heart allows you to see. It's interesting. Impurity dulls the mind. We're going to take the opposite. If you're impure in your heart, you will not be able to see God. If you are pure of heart, you will be able to see God. Luckily, if you die in the state of grace, even if you had a bad life, a lot of things going on that were bad in your head, you'll still be purified. <laughs> God will purify you. Luckily. So it's not like, it's not, never too late. It's never too late. <laughs> but... Um, Nevertheless, it is purity of heart that orients us to God and to be able to see. Opens up our eyes. The last ones, after blessed are the peacemaker, it says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It says, again, present tense, not future tense. If you're persecuted, suffering, offering all that you are, you're completely given in love. You're completely given in love. And at that moment, you are completely receiving love. You're entering into it. So the moral life, the moral life, all the practical actions start to be penetrated through by the Holy Spirit. All the practical action that we have starts to be imbibed, imbued. Because we're not called to simply love on a human level. Our love is called to be assumed into God by the Holy Spirit. 
And so our moral life changes, actually. It's different. Our moral life as Christians is different than it is in the Nicomachean ethics. Not contradictory, but different. We are not called to love as humans love. We're called to love as God loves. So we're called to have an absolute gift of ourselves. But the good side of it is say, sometimes people will think of it too psychologically and they'll critique Christianity for this. And they'll say, you have to be totally selfless, but that means that you don't receive anything. If you're totally selfless, you're altruistic, you don't care about yourself. And that's wrong. That's not what we see in the gospel. Notice, if we are poor in spirit, we already have the kingdom of God. The funny part about it is, when I love with all that I am, I receive too. (laughs) I don't do it for that reason, but I do receive because I know that God loves me. Similarly, we say, if you look in the eyes of God, you will see your reflection as he looks upon you, if you're speaking metaphorically, but truthfully. When you look into the eyes of God, you look into his eyes because you love him. But when you look into his eyes, you also see how he loves you. And so you learn how to love yourself. So every time you offer yourself, you receive. So it's not like you um, are psychologically empty. You actually could be psychologically full. You could be. And if we're going to walk through one more passage, if I was going to try to keep it down to about a half an hour, but I think I already went over. Um, Walking through one more passage, let's talk about how in John, it's chapter 13, leading into chapter 14, but chapter 13, that he's going to give us a new commandment. And chapter 13, towards the end, so it's right at the end of the consecration of the Eucharist, which is also very important. He says, a new commandment I give you, love as I have loved you. So remember that this time she's speaking about charity, agape, and he's not saying love one another as you would have them love you. He changes it. So don't love people as you want to be loved. He's not saying that. He's saying love one another as Christ has loved us. And he's loved us unto the cross. And remember that Christ is loving with agape, which means God's love. So you are supposed to love as the Holy Spirit loves or as God loves. Translated in a human language. So he, there he specifically says it. He says, love as God loves. Don't love as human love. Love in the Holy Spirit. Or love as Christ loves. And in order to make that happen... 
he shows us the Eucharist. And that is the ultimate gift. He doesn't just give himself on the cross. He gives himself as food for us to come and dwell in us. To be in us. And so that we might become him. So we might become Christ. So it is the food of love because it's his presence. It is the food of love because his spirit comes within us. He also, in the Eucharist, is the model of love. He gives himself as food. He, in the Eucharist, washes our feet. So agape, it includes the things of philia and includes the things of eros. This total gift of eros is still there. The complete gift and wanting to look upon the face of God, longing to look upon the face of God, which is already present in Eros, is still very present in Agape. The friendship of him dwelling with us and spending his days with us and uh, that complementary dialogue uh, where we're going over everything in our heart and sharing our secrets is even stronger in Agape. But there's still something more. There's still something more. And it is this Love of God, which comes and dwells in us and brings us to the complete offering of ourselves in peace. Because remember, the Spirit doesn't come in the storm. It doesn't come in the earthquake. It comes in the gentle breeze. It comes in the peaceful dwelling and peaceful offering of ourselves to the Father. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.